a lot of these lifestyle issues that people are experiencing and struggling with um, are really directly related to how they are or are not feeding themselves. And when I really uh, started breaking it down and looking at how, how people were reacting instead of proactively planning their nutrition, uh, I saw sugar as the number one culprit. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Two Fit Podcast, hosted by the Two Fit guys, Jake and Josh. Now, Two Fit, by definition, is actively pursuing a state of health and well being beyond perceived limitations. So, if you are looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally, physically, and everywhere in between, then you have come to the right place. On the Two Fit Podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks right, of the trade back, that you can implement, whether Two you're Fit a podcast. world-class athlete, weekend we warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out at 8 to 5, Fijio. all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming Two Fit. So Dan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. It's an honor. Yeah, great to have you, Dan. Um, this is a really exciting topic and something I think has been your, – your specialty has, I think, been brought to light more in the past couple of years um, as far as what sugar is doing, especially in America, to our society. I do agree, and that's one of the reasons that I decided to tackle uh, sugar and sugar addiction as a, as a project is because um, you know it's so prevalent – in our society, and I think, uh, especially in America, so many people are uh, just so overworked and so busy and so stressed out all the time that it's so easy for them to just uh, consistently reach for sugar and junk food. So uh, I've made it my mission to help people try to to get off sugar and stop stress eating, and get back to a more normal, healthy uh, nutrition system. How do we get to the state that we're now in? How has it become such a problem? And I realize that's probably a loaded question, but you know, you say we got to get back to that natural, healthy, you know, nutritional state. Well, how do we get to the one where we're at now? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it actually has to do with the quality of your food in general. Um, 50 or 60 years ago, you could get junk food, but you had to work for it. And nowadays, it's kind of just the opposite. Most of the stuff that's quick and easy and readily accessible is mostly junk food, loaded with chemicals and sugar and artificial sweeteners and all kinds of stuff. And you really have to go out of your way to get more clean, natural food. So uh, that's a big that's a big problem. And I think uh, the second aspect of that is really what I had mentioned earlier is just uh, societally, everybody seems so busy and so stressed out all the time that uh, it just in their mind, it takes too much time, too much thought, too much effort to uh, take 30 seconds to uh, plan some healthier eating in advance. So one of the things I try to help people with is that planning aspect because once you make it more of a habit, it only takes literally a minute or two to plan your food for the day. It's really not a time commitment. It's not a problem. But uh, I think people just have it in their mind that's like, oh, it's too much trouble or I can't think about it. I'm too busy and I, I just can't think about that right now. So they kind of lose their minds and, and grab whatever is handy and uh, as I said, what is handy nowadays is usually junk food. 
Dan, would you pro- do you mind providing a little bit more of your background? Because I know you've been involved in the health and nutrition and fitness space for a very long time in your career. And then also, what kind of led you down the path to specialize on sugar? Did you have a personal moment, a, a family interaction, um, you know, to this addiction with sugar? Well, um, I've been in the uh, fitness and nutrition fields for since 1993. So it's been, uh, gosh, 23 years now that I've been working on this stuff. And, and over time, my career has developed into becoming um, more of an educator. And I'm sort of a, a science dork when it comes to nutrition. I study this stuff every day. And what really led me down to the, uh, to the sugar addiction path is that it's one of the most prevalent things that I see. You know, when, you, when you've been coaching people for decades – and you've helped thousands and thousands of people, you start to see a lot of patterns. And so what I decided to do is um, start focusing my efforts on one of the most common and most prevalent problems that I hear from people all the time. You know, I, I hear people talk about stress eating all the time. I hear people struggle with their, uh, with their weight. Um, from a, uh, a medical standpoint, insulin resistance and diabetes is a, is a big, big problem. Depression is a big, big problem, and that ties into the sugar stuff too. So a lot of these lifestyle issues that people are experiencing and struggling with um, are really directly related to how they are or are not feeding themselves. And when I really uh, started breaking it down and looking at how, how people were reacting instead of proactively planning their nutrition – uh, I saw sugar as the number one culprit. So here I am in my little day-to-day crusade trying to uh, change the world one client at a time, one reader at a time. Yeah, taking on the big sugar industry. Man, good for you. Yeah. I know me and uh, me and Josh talk about it all the time. It's just it's so hard to stay away from. You know, they got it in everything. You can, you can pick up, you know, 14 out of 15 options of bacon at the grocery store, and all of them have sugar in it, you know, extra sugar. And it's like, you know, right. how does my, how does my bacon have, you know, <laughs> nine grams of sugar in it? But, and, you know, and we also talk about how the sugar industry itself, it was like, you know, when this whole low fat craze came about, they basically took the fat out of everything. People realized, oh, this tastes like cardboard. So now what do you got to do? You right. got to throw in all that sugar on the back end <laughs> to make it taste good. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just hard to get away from now. So what, what's some of your advice? I mean, just avoiding things, um, where people might not even see that sugar is even on the, you know, in the, in the product itself. That is a really good question. Um, I think the biggest thing I've run across with, uh, with people that I'm, I'm coaching or, or writing for is, uh, the mistaken belief that because something is natural, then it doesn't have any sugar in it. Um, like agave nectar is a common thing. Uh, agave is almost all fructose. And so from a, uh, like an insulin standpoint and a, uh, hormone disruption and hunger disruption standpoint, you're actually better off with table sugar instead of agave, even though it's, uh, you know, not a processed product, it's not necessarily a good thing for you to be eating. So I, I see things like that from folks. So there's a lot of mistaken concepts as far as, uh, you know, whether this is something that you should be working into your nutrition or not. Um, a second thing, this, uh, the second big rock, I think with people's nutrition planning is I'm a big proponent of natural foods overall. I don't like to, you know, I've sort of made a name in the 
sugar niche and how to get off sugar. But, you know, I'm really more of a pro natural foods guy as opposed to an anti sugar guy. You know, I try to get people to stay away from uh, chemicals and processed foods and uh, a lot of, you know, artificial colors and sweeteners and all that sort of stuff. The, the more natural your diet, the better off you're going to be. You know, if you're eating all um, whole foods, natural foods without uh, antibiotics and without hormones and without artificial this and chemical that, you're going to be fine. You know, you don't really have to worry too much about your total sugar intake unless you're plowing through, you know, bowls and bowls of, of fruit and not eating enough protein and things like that. So uh, when you start eating a lot of processed foods and get away from natural foods, that's when you really start to get into trouble. And Dan, I know you break down sugar addicts by kind of four categories. Would you mind going into those a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, th- the four sort of major types of sugar addicts that I have uncovered, um, number one is the stress ball. This is a person who is um, just sort of – it feels like he or she is always running. There's never enough hours in the day. They get headaches. They get chronic aches and pains. Um, they don't sleep well because they're so stressed out all the time. And um, this person generally tends to see himself or herself as uh, you know, sort of the I do for others but not for myself kind of person. So they generally reach for the sugar and the junk food because they feel like they don't have time for something healthy. So the, uh, the challenge for the, uh, the stress ball is uh, they have to learn how to plan instead of react to what is happening in life. Because you know, everybody knows, everybody's busy, life happens, right? There are going to be bad things and stressful things that happen to you, but if you make it your habit to reach for junk food every time something stressful happens at work or you have a bad day, then you're going to be in a heap of trouble nutrition-wise. So the stress ball is a, is a real common sort of stereotype of sugar addict. Um, the second one that I see a lot is something I call the comfort seeker. The comfort seeker is somebody who sort of has uh, a very emotional attachment to food in general. Um, this kind of a person feels depressed or hopeless pretty often, uh, perhaps lonely. They often eat uh, a lot of sugar and junk food late at night, whether they're hungry or not, because they, they, they end up using junk food as a drug. You know, they, they embody the very definition of the term emotional eater. So the, the comfort seeker um, will do best in improving his or her eating if they start to do some personal work on the emotional awareness component of the trouble that they're having. Um, very often, and I don't want to get into too much psychology and stuff like that because this is not, you know, this is not the venue for that. But, but basically, when when people start reaching for junk food, what they're doing is uh, using that either to drug themselves or to distract themselves from what they're actually feeling or what they want to feel. So, teach the comfort seeker how to pay attention to what he or she is actually seeking from an emotional standpoint. And then they can start, uh, you know, filling that in healthy ways instead of uh, trying to distract or drug themselves with sugar. Now, Dan, not to interrupt you before you go on to the last two, but kind of on that particular category of person that would be addicted, I've also read interesting research and especially with people that are struggling with, you know, 
yeast overgrowth or candida or something like that, that they may be craving the sugar, but maybe they don't even want it. They just don't even know why they want the ice cream or the donuts, but it's that bacteria, the, the unhealthy bacteria in the gut that's kind of wanting to feed off that. Yeah, that is uh, actually one of the easiest ways to get a candida infection is to eat a lot of sugar <laughs> because that in, that uh, acidic, high sugar uh, environment is like the perfect place for that to grow. So uh, yes, if, if your uh, listeners are, are struggling with that, then uh, a nutrition overhaul is definitely in order. Some good probiotic therapy to start to rebalance that intestinal flora. Um, it's really interesting that you, you mentioned that because the gut actually has its own nervous system, you know, the enteric nervous system, which is it communicates with the brain, but it's not reliant on it. So you kind of have this whole second brain happening down in your digestive system that can cause these cravings and affect your hormones and your uh, your hunger levels and all of that. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, incredible information and news that's been coming out the last few years regarding that topic. And it's just amazing how, you know, before we clearly thought that oh, it was our brains or our feelings or something driving these reactions and thoughts and cravings when really it was this, you know, transformation or um, communication, I should say, from the gut to the brain. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I just wrote uh, like a week ago, I just wrote an article on that and I put it up on the beatingsugaraddiction.com website. Um, it's called Why We Eat So Much. So if uh, if the listeners are interested in, in uh, that as a topic as far as how the how the gut brain affects your uh, your hunger and your hormones, go to beatingsugaraddiction.com and search for Why We Eat So Much. Wonderful. Yeah, we'll abs absolutely put that in the show notes as well. Thanks. Yeah, I guess let's uh, let's get back to those other the last two types of sugar addicts. But also, is there a place even on beatingsugaraddiction.com where people can go? And is there an assessment form or anything where you can even like figure out which type you are, so that way you can formulate a plan of attack? Well, the uh, the plan of attack is relatively similar when it comes to the four different addict types. But the biggest difference is sort of like where you may want to focus your attention first. Because when you understand like sort of what stereotype you resemble, then you can start to make some generalizations say, oh, okay, people in this boat generally think like this and do this. And so that's kind of where you start your behavior change with what is typical. And of course, you know, everybody's different and nobody's going to line up exactly as the sort of standard stereotypical addict type. But it gives me a good place to start when I start working with somebody as far as, you know, is this person going to be more concerned with emotional eating or do we have to work on, you know, planning the food and, and the lifestyle as far as being proactive instead of reactive, stuff like that. So um, my uh, one of my best-selling books is Beating Sugar Addiction for Dummies. It's one of the dummies books. And there is a uh, like a questionnaire in that book that goes through these different uh, addict types where you can, you know, score yourself and see how often, like always or hardly ever, or, I, you know, I never do this, I always do this kind of thing. And you get a score to see how, uh, you know, sort of which of the addict types you might resemble. So that's useful. I should put that up on the, uh, on the website. Thank you for the, uh, thank you for the, in the idea. I'll do that. I, I would think that's got to be powerful for everyone because sugar is one of those things like Jake touched on earlier. It's, it's embedded in everything. 
And I would think that there are a lot of people out there that are addicted to sugar and don't even know it. They don't even know that's the problem that's driving these issues. I just drink Gatorade. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I don't have a sugar. I've got to get my electrolytes in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why um, I I suggest to everybody, whether you, uh, you know, work with a nutrition coach or whether you try to do it on your own, the first thing you need to do is keep a food journal for a couple days and just write down everything you eat. And that gives you a real honest reality check on what you're doing. Cause most people seem to think, you know, that they eat better than they do. Uh, but when you actually write it out and you look and you're like, Oh, I haven't had a vegetable since Tuesday, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, and so that's where you can start to find a lot of the, uh, either the hidden sugars or one of the big problems I see with people in general is the protein to carbohydrate ratios. You know, most people tend to undereat protein and overeat carbs. Um, so I, those are things that need adjusted too. So by keeping a food journal for a few days, you can use some of the little app trackers too, like the MyFitnessPal app tracker or the Calorie King stuff. Or there's a thousand of them out there. Uh, just to keep track of your calories and your macronutrients for a few days and get an idea of what you're actually doing so you know what you need to adjust. Exactly. Yeah, one of our favorite saying is what gets measured gets managed. And Yes, uh, yeah, so I like that's, that. That's the I'm, only way to I'm become aware of it, you know. Um, yes, that is a very good point. So uh, to, uh, to what you had said, I think uh, a lot of the people I talk with, they really do understand that they eat badly and they know that uh, – you know, some of them know that they've got a problem. It's like they describe themselves as a as a carboholic or a chocoholic or something like that. So um, once people have gotten to the point where, wow, I really want to do something different, then it's a lot easier to uh, start making some changes. So say when a uh, you know I get that sweet tooth, what's my step by step process of one becoming aware of it and then avoiding you know that emotional eating, binging, whatever it might be for me? Yeah. That's a great question. I actually have a little checklist that I give everybody, and uh, it's a, available for free. Actually, it's a little download. It's a, it's a simple three-step process to sort of beat those sugar cravings. You can get it for free on the beatingsugaraddiction.com website. And uh, it's a simple three-step process, and it kills most of your cravings right away. Number one, when you have that uh, craving, uh, drink a big glass of water first thing because a lot of times um, – the, uh, you know, the hypothalamus in your brain, I don't want to get too technical, but basically the thirst centers and the hunger centers are like right next to each other. So if you're dehydrated and you're thirsty, uh, your brain can interpret that as I'm hungry or I want something to eat. So when we make that a habit, then our brain learns that, oh, this signal equals time to eat something. When in reality, you might just be thirsty. So the first thing I do is try to get people to just drink a glass of water first. You know, put something in your stomach. It takes care of the uh, dehydration problem. And uh, a lot of times, it satisfies just the mouthfeel that people want. You know, they want something in their in their mouth. Um, the second thing is take a couple deep breaths. And there's a, there's a picture of a, just a little shoulder and neck stretch that I have everybody do for 10 seconds just to uh, – just to do that, you know, oxygenate the tissue, take a deep breath or two. And then thirdly, you got to figure out what you're really wanting because you probably don't really want sugar. You want something else. You know, it might be a distraction. It might be, oh, I'm lonely or I'm bored or I'm nervous about something and I want to think about it. So I'm going to eat this, uh, you know, eat these cookies instead. 
Um, there are a lot of things that can be. So I've got a little checklist in that uh, three-step guide that gives you some ideas about that. So after you've gone through those three steps, then you have to stop and make a grown-up decision about, okay, am I going to eat this or am I not going to eat this? And most of the time, if you've gone through those steps, you don't want it anymore because you've thought about it and you've done a couple things to sort of put a purposefulness in your head as opposed to a mindless habitual reactive thing that you do you're like oh i see a a commercial therefore i reach for potato chips yeah i love that number three there figuring out what you're really wanting because it's almost like without that you might just be treating the symptoms versus actually treating the root cause of it. yeah well i'm I'm really glad you said that because the whole premise of my new uh online course for how to get off sugar it's called sugar free me the whole premise of that is um figuring out what you really want and changing what you usually do because willpower will always fail you eventually you know people go through these uh they attempt to go through these restrictive uh diets and promises to themselves i'm i'm never going to do this and i'm you know no cake no flour none of this no all these you know real black and white very restrictive kind of things and um you know you can't really live like that and if that is, is what you're attempting to do, not only is it grueling and unpleasant, but the moment you uh, don't do that, you know, if you have one time where you ate something you promised yourself you never, ever, ever would, then in your mind, you know, you failed. And then people just generally say, well, screw it. I, I messed it up and now I have to start all over. And that black and white thinking is what results in all of the yo-yo dieting and the cycles of uh, willpower and failure and and shame that people just go through over and over, um, that's a tough cycle to break. So um, the psychology of that and the behavior stuff is really what I work with on people, both in my online course and when I work with them in person. Uh, it's not about you know trying to stop doing everything that's not healthy for you. It's really about recognizing what what are you doing. What do you really want? And let's start making some, you know, healthy habits instead of unhealthy habits. You start to make some replacements instead of this, we'll do that. And then after that becomes normal, then you make a couple other changes. And pretty soon, six months later or 12 months later, you're a whole different person and you're acting totally differently than you used to, but you don't feel like you're doing anything different. You don't have that willpower struggle. So how long does it take when, whenever people are going through this and just in your own, you know, offhand, you know, research working Most with people? people yeah. yeah, that's a good, good question. Most people will report that they start feeling better almost right away, within a week or two, um, just from making both the, the actual changes of starting to make some healthier choices, but also from the empowerment standpoint. You know, the, the typical sugar addict or chocoholic is a person who generally feels pretty out of control in most of their life, right? Their nutrition, it is a disaster, so they're reactive with eating. They're almost always uh, stressed out and frazzled, and a lot of them have self-esteem problems, and it's just this giant ball of um, you know, sadness and negativity that these people are really struggling with. So when you start to improve a few things, and you start to feel a little bit better and you're like you get a few wins under your belt you're like hey i had a, I had a good day today you know that empowerment is really motivating and that is sort of the tipping point with folks so when i get them away from the all or nothing concept 
and get uh, just a few baby steps happening, then people can take off. And it's an ongoing process. You know, there's never a uh, there's never a finish line. Really, like okay, you're all done. You you never have to think about being healthy again. <laughs> um, it's something that it just becomes more habitual and more normal. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but foods that used to taste badly or bitter things will actually begin to taste good and healthy. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Um, one of the things that happens with people who abuse sugar is their taste buds kind of get desensitized to what sweet actually tastes like. So um, even a real like what you and I might consider to be a real sickening sweet kind of taste is not that sweet to the addict. So when they start to um, stop overstimulating their taste center with either sugar or artificial flavorings, then you start to get resensitized. Both your brain and your taste buds start to get resensitized to what food actually tastes like. So um, it is really interesting to watch people's, you know, one of the things I'll often do with people is get a, a list of like the foods they like or the things they don't like. And then three months later, we'll do it again. And the lists are like totally different. Yeah. I mean, Jake and I have firsthand, plenty of firsthand experience on this topic because Dan, as you know, like, so we also have, you know, our sports nutrition company. We obviously have the podcast, but, um, our two products pre and post workout are all natural food driven, absolutely no sweeteners or fillers. And, you know, when we're in the certain market or at a conference or the certain type of crowd, everyone loves the flavors, right? There's no sugar in them. There's just a touch of stevia and, and that's it. And then if you're at a different type of event, um, people will think that they don't taste like much or they're bitter or cause you know, they have a lot of root and extracts and earth grown ingredients and they're just very nutritionally dense. And it's funny to see the different crowds that react to the taste of the products. But Jake and I always like to say, you know, we're not going to put added sweeteners or sugars in there for the sacrifice of someone's health. And usually people that really commit to, like you said, not only changing their foods, but also their supplements and what they're drinking really changes their outlook on their nutrition. You are absolutely right. And, uh, and your products are actually very good. It's one of the reasons I'm on this show, because if I didn't respect, in all honesty, if I didn't respect what you were doing, I, I wouldn't want to do this. Awesome. I appreciate, I appreciate it, Dan. That. Josh, thanks for that shameless plug that you worked in there. You like that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> worked work that back to the products. Yeah. I had read some interesting research years ago about the, they, they were comparing sugar to different types of drugs and white table sugar turned out to be eight times more addictive than cocaine. And I just think that's really powerful information that, and it's great that you're putting all this out there because it really could be single-handedly the biggest nutritional downfall of our society. Yeah, those, those rats were picking it over cocaine. Picking the yeah. sugar over the cocaine. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that study actually. Uh, well, it's, I mean it's really not that surprising because, yeah, uh, sugar and other what are called uh, hyperpalatable substances, things that really uh, stimulate or overstimulate the, the pleasure centers and the taste centers, are um, they all kind of work in the same pathway in the brain, you know, they hit your dopamine and serotonin, uh, hormones. And so regardless of the substance that you're using, um, basically what you end up doing is uh, training your brain 
to look for that next dopamine hit, whether it comes from sugar or whether it comes from heroin or, you know, whatever your uh, gambling, you know, whatever your, um, your fix is. And I think one of the reasons that sugar is so dangerous is not uh, just because of the physiological addictiveness, which it is very strongly addictive, like you just said. But, um, you know, societally, A, there's no stigma around it. You know, if you're a, a cocaine addict or a heroin addict or a, a gambling addict or whatever, you know, there's a little bit of societal like, oh, you know, you're, you're a drug addict or something like that. But like if you got a, a food problem, that's like normal. Nobody looks at you twice, right? That's true. That's a great point. You, yeah, you bring up a very interesting point. And I'm not – it reminds me of – I'm not sure if you're involved or, or uh, follow anything about CrossFit. Um, but CrossFit headquarters has been very adamant and proactive against big sugar and specifically the soda industry. And I've even seen some messaging where – Literally, their goal is to make drinking soda and the end result sugar for that, in that case, um, the same thing as smoking. Um, I think CrossFit, I mean, they have the platform to do it and they're really attacking big sugar for that purpose. Do you, do you think that's something that could be possible to, to make it in, in the public eye to be viewed as something as strong as smoking? <sighs> that, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think that the conventional wisdom around sugar as a harmful substance is, uh, you know, the general awareness, public awareness is becoming greater. So uh, I could certainly see that it might um, come to the rise to the point of, you know, everybody knows smoking is bad for you, but some people still choose to do it. Uh, could be uh, very similar with sugar. You know, everybody knows sugar is bad for you. Most people do anyway, you know. Most people know the difference between uh, a mixed green salad and candy. You know, if you ask any six-year-old which is healthier, I don't think you're going to get too many wrong answers. So, uh, you know, I don't. I think the education aspect is coming around. You know, it's becoming more uh, more common for people to understand how harmful this substance is. Uh, but what we're really talking about is behavior. We're not talking about education. People know healthy from unhealthy in general, but uh, behavior is the is the challenge. Are there any healthy hyperpalatable substances? Yeah, um, well, you, the, some of the stuff you mentioned in your shake, you know, stevia is a sweetener that doesn't have any uh, bad side effects. So, and it's uh, you know doesn't appear to be as addictive as uh, sugar itself. Doesn't mess up any of the hormones uh, or kill any neurons like. Um, aspartame and other artificial sweeteners. So that's a good pick. You know, somebody who is accustomed to, uh, let's say, uh, sweet tea, like iced tea with, with sweetener or sodas, and they really can't make the jump to, say, uh, either unsweetened tea or mineral water with lime in it, which is one of my personal favorites. I like that a lot. I got cases of San Pelli in my house <laughs> that I drink because I like the fizz. But I'm not going to drink soda, you know. So the uh, the fizz is good. I just put some lime in it for a little extra flavor, and it's great. We were in Pasadena last week for the Bulletproof Conference, and one of our team members that works with us in Portland was down, and and he says, "Guys, y'all want margaritas?" And someone in the house said, "I don't think we have any tequila." And and he said, "No, no, no. You you just wait. We're, I'm going to make up some margaritas." So he comes back, and we had bought, you know. Uh, 
dropped by Whole Foods, bought some sparkling water. And so he mixes up, you know, four glasses, sparkling water, ice, a couple, you know, tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, some lime, and a little bit of sea salt. And sure enough, they're pretty amazing. I think um, I think I saw uh, one of your Twitter uh, Twitter posts about that. Did you put that up? <laughs> did you tweet about that? I think you might have. We probably did. That's yeah. the next Two Fit product in the pipeline. <laughs> Ready to drink. Two Fit Rita, yeah. Natural margarita mix. I love it. <laughs> That's good. Good stuff. Yeah, and so I mean, even when you're eating things like fruit, which has that fiber in there to help actually break down that sugar, what are some other um, healthier options? Or whenever people have that sweet tooth craving, whatever it might be, what do you tell them to to grab instead? Well, instead of uh, like I said, instead of uh, sugar or artificial sweetener, uh, we can use stevia powder that works well. Uh, dark chocolate in small amounts is a nice substitute instead of uh, junk chocolate. You know, if you get something that's at least 70% cacao, uh, there's a lot of polyphenols and some good health benefits from small amounts of dark chocolate. So a little square of that is a nice fix. Um, sometimes I'll try – people who get in the habit of like needing to have that sweet thing after dinner, that's a common thing that I help people get away from. We start with, uh, okay, instead of cheesecake – we're going to have two strawberries or a handful of blueberries, you know, something like that. So we, we go to fruit first and then we start to cut back on uh, the portions and then we substitute other things with it. So you, you cut down your carbs halfway, like maybe you get a cube of cheese and some cantaloupe, right? And a piece of cantaloupe. So there's, and that, and then you wean yourself down so that you don't have that habit of, Dinner's over. That means I got to have a sweet taste in my mouth. What's your take on raw honey? Because I know that's predominantly glucose, and uh, it does yeah. have a lot of you know yeah, healthy vitamins high. and anti-inflammatories. Yeah. So unlike the agave that I had uh, blasted <laughs> a little bit ago, honey actually has raw uh, local honey actually has some health properties as far as boosting your immune system. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in honey, but you do have to keep in mind that uh, it is very high in sugar. So uh, very small amounts of any time you want to use that as a sweetener, um, just really watch your, your portions. Do you have a certain level of sugar that you would look for? Like say you're even buying a really good nut bar, healthy bar, organic, right? Um, you like the label and you kind of look at it and it's got 8 grams of sugar or 18 grams of sugar. Is there a barometer you look for in saying yay or nay? I have two barometers. That's a great question. Um, number one is I try not to buy anything that has added sugar. So if I have a, a nut bar that has, um, you know, like some cranberries or something in it, that's going to show higher on the sugar uh, label, higher number uh, on the on the label due to the natural sugar content. But you know, when you add the fat from the nuts and the protein and stuff like that, the insulin response is not so bad. So um, but if it's got, you know, maltodextrin or high fructose corn syrup or something like that, then I'm not going to I'm not going to eat that. So um, I stay away from added sugars. And from a number standpoint, um, most people can metabolize about 20 grams of sugar or fructose at a time before you really start to have problems. That's at the high end. I'm not suggesting that every time you eat, you can have 20 grams of fructose. So don't start sending me emails, all the <laughs> listeners. I know I'm going to get them. So, uh, <laughs> 
but that would be, you know, the sort of the, the maximum. And that is, um, you know, four or five pieces of fruit, four or five oranges or a half a can of soda, right? So that amount of sugar is, you know, something that if, uh, if somebody, you know, is working towards reducing their consumption, um, about 20 grams at a time is, uh, is pretty much maximum. I think the new, uh, American Heart Association guidelines were like 25 grams a day total, I think was their official recommendation. I might be misremembering that number, but, uh, well, Dan, I'd, I'd like to get into a little bit on foods that maybe people don't always associate as being sugar heavy or maybe understanding glycemic index versus glycemic load, because, you know, we have our table sugars and artificial sweeteners, high fructose corn syrups, but then we have the carbohydrates that really the end result is sugar. The only difference we have would be the insulin spike, correct? Well, yeah, you're correct. Um, all carbohydrates are broken down into glucose, but the question is how fast? And that is where you have, uh, people say, you know, good carbs versus bad carbs. That's the big difference there. So in a nutshell, um, you know, I don't want to bore people too much with the with the nuts and bolts of uh, glycemic value versus glycemic load. Um, in a nutshell, your carbohydrates should mostly come from high fiber, high nutrient sources, because uh, fiber is one of the things that'll help slow down the release of sugar into the bloodstream. So your carbohydrates from Broccoli and leafy greens and um, you know sweet potatoes, things like that. Are, they're they're starchy. There's a lot of fiber to them. So the insulin response that you get from a certain uh, portion of carbohydrates is going to be much lower than if you have grape juice, for example. Does that right. make sense? Yes, absolutely. So instead of looking at here's, I'm I'm really glad you asked this question because this is something that people ask me a lot. You know, they hear bits and pieces about uh, the whole concept of a glycemic value of food, and it's like, oh, bananas are bad for you. N no, bananas are not bad for you, but you know they do break down a little faster than, um, excuse me, than uh, you know a zucchini, for example. So. In order to mitigate and control your insulin response, the biggest thing people can do, and this is something I got to hammer at people like day in and day out, they have a hard time with this for some reason, you got to have protein and or fat every time you eat carbohydrates, every time you eat, basically. Um, the all-carbohydrate snacks or the very, very low-protein meals are asking for trouble when it comes to insulin response. And what we're trying to mitigate there, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but is this like you said, this insulin response excess leads to excess fat storage and let an excess oxidative stress and inflammation. Uh, yes. Insulin, um, basically when you, all right, here, here's what happens in a, in a nutshell. Uh, when you eat carbohydrates, your pancreas is going to put out insulin to help to control the sugar levels in the blood. And the insulin is kind of, it's a transport system, basically. It's like the bus. The glucose gets on the bus and the insulin drives it around to your brain, to your liver, to your muscles, and it stuffs all the cells full of glucose and stores uh, some glycogen in your muscles so you can do your next workout. 
any excess glucose that is left over is packaged up and stored as fat. So one of the problems that uh, happens with a consistently high sugar diet is that your body's constantly pumping out more and more insulin and these little receptor sites start to become less sensitive to the insulin hormone. And that is called insulin resistance. And that leads to type 2 diabetes. That was a great explanation. Very well put. Oh, thank, thank you. you for that. I've, yeah. Because I think a lot of people really do need to understand that process, you know, to really relate like how are these carbohydrates affecting me? I mean, Jake and I, as all of our listeners know, and as you know, Dan, advocate a high fat, low carb diet. And we like to, you know, to uh, quote Charles Poliquin, earn your carbohydrates. So we like to sandwich them around a window of a workout, specifically a higher intensity workout and um, use those carbohydrates as a tool rather than as a um, kind of energy source energy source all day yeah this constantly you know topping off these blood glucose levels yeah i think that's a great way uh, that's a great way to look at it so um yeah i think uh the, the concept of controlling your insulin response is important and the biggest and that's what all the uh, like the low carb diet stuff over the last 40 years have been about whether it's the the zone or the south beach diet or the sugar busters diet or uh, whatever else you know it's all basically an insulin insulin control concept and insulin control as a concept is important um so the easiest thing for people to do who aren't uh you know going to sit and really count out grams of stuff every meal which for most people you don't have to do that you know, you have to you have the big picture concepts in mind, which are when you eat, make sure you've got protein and or fat combined with your carbohydrates every time. People struggle with that. So I got to keep hammering it. Is there ever a time you recommend for, say, someone's been working with you or they definitely are a sugar addict and you're getting them off the sugar that you ever give them a little leeway or have an opportunity for a cheat meal or a dessert? No, actually all the time because I don't, uh, you know, the, the way that I approach nutrition counseling is not out of like deprivation. My whole approach is about creating a new normal, you know, so that what you do most of the time is plan your food. Most of the time you eat healthy stuff. Most of the time you don't overeat. Most of the time you select healthy foods instead of junk food. And then sometimes you will have junk food because you work it into this system, you know. Um, all right, write this down. Anybody who's listening, whatever you do most of the time, that's what you're like. And that applies to everything in your life, whether you're talking about nutrition like we are now or your attitude, where, you know, your relationship with your spouse or your family, um, your work ethic, how you, you know, how you manage yourself at work, how you show up in the world, whatever you do most of the time, that's what you're like. So it is my goal as a nutrition coach with people to help improve what they consider to be normal so that most of the time they're making healthy choices and they're not worried about what they cannot have. Gosh, I love that. That's great. Does that stuff. make sense? Yeah, Thank no, you. That is awesome. So to answer your question, Yes, absolutely. You can have uh, days or meals where you have, you know, purposefully chosen to have unhealthy foods. You know, I look at here's a great example that, uh, you know, so most of the time you're planning your food and you've got everything laid out well. And you know that on Wednesday night, I'm going to a birthday party and I'm going to have birthday cake. 
So you work it into your planning for the day. And when you get to the birthday party, you have your birthday cake, you put it, you know, you cut yourself a reasonable portion, you put it on a plate and that's what you eat and you do it on purpose and everybody's happy. Um, what you don't want to do is try to spend, you know, 30 days of, uh, detox where you're denying yourself anything that you might possibly enjoy and you're starving and, um, you go to this party and you camp out next to the cake pan all night and <laughs> mm -hmm. by the end of the party you're like oh my god what just happened you know <laughs> yeah so that is being reactive instead of being proactive so um you know any of the people i work with or i actually have a uh, i've got an online nutrition coaching group that i run on facebook too and one of the things uh that i'm always talking to them about is whatever uh whatever you do you have to do it on purpose don't ever uh, hit me with, Oh, I couldn't help it. Or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my fault. And I just, I don't know what happened. I don't buy that. You know, we're grown ups here. So you have to do stuff on purpose. If you say I ate a, da a Danish for breakfast and you said the reason that I ate a Danish for breakfast was because I got up late and I didn't, um, want to be late for work and I didn't want to go hungry. So I just grabbed this thing and I ate it. And next time I'll, you know, I'll be ready instead of being reactive. That whole pan of brownies didn't eat itself. You know? <laughs> that whole, yeah, it did not eat itself. I like that. I might, I might have to make a little infographic on that. <laughs> did not eat itself. Jake and Josh. Love it. Well, Dan, what else do you have coming up? I know you got the website, beatingsugaraddiction.com, the yeah. Beating Sugar Addiction for Dummies book. And of course, we're going to link to all that in the show notes. But what else do you have on the horizon? The thing that I'm most excited about is I just released a new, a brand new how to get off sugar for good course. It's called Sugar Free Me. It's an online course that's uh, seven easy step-by-step -step modules, uh, written materials and video material that help people uh, go from being a, a stress eater and a sugar addict to getting control over their eating and building this new normal that I was talking about. So that after a short period of time, they're planning their food, they're eating healthy on purpose, and as we just discussed, sometimes you can have junk food because you can work it into the system. So um, I'm excited about that. The reviews on it have been fantastic. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to getting that out to as many people as possible because a lot of people really desperately need this help. Um, the website is uh, sugarfreeme.online. But if you are a listener to the Jake and Josh show, which you should be, um, I give all my email subscribers that course at half price. So the way that you get that is you go to the beatingsugaraddiction.com website and, uh, and download the free uh, three steps to kill your sugar cravings that we had discussed earlier in the show. And it, when you get that guide, and uh, you'll get the, um, the email education series, and you'll also get uh, sugar-free me at half price instead of paying a full price for it. There you go. So Loving it. If you, if you, uh, if you want emails, if you want to hear from me, get it at half price. If you don't want any emails, then you have to pay full price for it. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Dan. And before Thanks. you go, I mean, you, you dropped some really great knowledge and quotes on us. I, I know you've got to be a vivacious reader. So what, what book do you recommend most? Or what is your favorite book? My favorite book. Oh, wow. That's a good one. 
Um, you know, I, I think Mark Twain's Letters from the Earth is one of my real favorites. Classic. Um, yeah. Have, have you read it? It's a, basically um, this, the setting of that is there are a bunch of uh, aliens from outer space who are observing human behavior and trying to figure out what the heck we're doing and, and how ridiculous we all are. And their and they're, they're reports to their superiors about humans and, w- and what we're doing here on Earth is uh, basically what this book is. And I think it's great. I love it. Well, we got all that down. We're going to put all that in the show notes for you guys. Dan, thank you for being on and for all the work that you're doing. We think it's great, man. Well, you guys are doing great work too. Thank you so much for asking me to come on the show. And uh, I will look forward to doing something like this again sometime with you. Absolutely. This has been wonderful. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Two Fit USA the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the Two Fit Guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at TwoFitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to TwoFitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1, that's F-I-T-1, at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, 2fitusa.com, under the podcast and products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all 2Fit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and till next time. <laughs>